This Christmas season, I've done something that I've never done in Christmases before. Maybe Anne has, but I haven't. And that is watch Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> uh, normally I stick to like Home Alone and A Christmas Story and, and those types of movies. But this year I've been intentional of watching Hallmark Christmas movies with Anne. And do you know what I've realized about all Hallmark Christmas movies? They're the exact same plot, just different characters. It always starts boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love, they start dating, and then about 45 minutes into the movie, what happens? Some conflict erupts, right? Whether it's an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who comes back, whether uh, one of them overhears the other one talking and takes it the wrong way, or there's conflict with the family and the boyfriend or girlfriend, some conflict happens and it looks like all is lost. And then with about 10 minutes left in the movie, everything gets restored, everyone gets reconciled, and what happens? The ending is always everyone is smiling and happy, and you get this feeling that they live happily ever after. You don't have to watch another Hallmark Christmas movie. I just told you how every one of them goes. That's how every plot is for these movies, and yet they're wildly popular. Despite you knowing the ending, despite you knowing that the, all this is going to happen, you're still going to watch them. These things are popular. People count down the calendar throughout the year until they start showing Hallmark Christmas movies, and it's like the biggest event of the year. Uh, my mom calls me on the day that the Hallmark Christmas movies start showing. Why? Do you think... Do you think it's because deep down inside that's what we want? Maybe not necessarily with the love of our life, but we want a happily ever after where conflict is done, where there are no more tensions. Because what happens when you turn off that movie? You've got all these feel-goods about happily ever after, and you know that in a week you're going to go to Christmas dinner with extended family. And there's probably going to be some drama that happens. You know that at that Christmas meal, an argument is going to break out and they're going to put you in the middle to decide who's right. You know that at that dinner, you're going to have to walk on eggshells because there's that one family member that you're not really sure uh, what sets him or her off. And so you're kind of walking on eggshells around them because it could just flip like this and conflict erupts. There's that family member that you know you have to play nice with and that you don't necessarily get along, but you have to play nice with for the sake of the rest of the family. This is a conflict that we know. But it's not even, it's not just in our Christmas dinners, right? Maybe tomorrow you're going to go back to work where conflict has been growing between you and the boss. Maybe tomorrow when you drop your kids off, you're going to see that parent again, and the conflict between you and that parent has continued to grow, and the friction continues to get more and more. Everywhere we look in life, no matter what relationships we have, no matter if it's in school, at work, uh, at home, we have conflict. And what do we want more than anything is a happily ever after. We want peace that lasts. That's what we want. We want the conflict to be completely gone and to have peace. <coughs> when will we get our happily ever after, right? That's where 
Judah is at, the kingdom of Judah in 720 BC. The kingdom of Judah, last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah the prophet is talking about the kingdom of Israel, which is a northern kingdom. Today he's talking to the kingdom of Judah in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, uh, the kingdom of Judah is filled with conflict. It's a, there's conflict with the king. The king doesn't treat the people well. He completely rejects God. He's got conflict with all the nations around him. Uh, it is a conflict-filled person. He causes conflict. There's conflict within the people. Justice wasn't being carried out. People were taking advantage of the poor and the widows and the elderly, and there was no justice in the court system. It was a very much, in the kingdom of Judah, a predator-prey uh, relationship between all people. It was a dog-eat-dog -dog world for humans. And there was conflict everywhere. And so what did God do? He sent the prophet Isaiah to them in 720 and said, look, here's the deal. God let me see the future and if you don't repent, if you don't start showing love, if you don't start stopping the conflicts, guess what's going to happen? God is going to take His righteous acts and cut you down. He's going to cut you down. And that's exactly what happened. God gave them 140 years to repent, to change their ways. But 580 B.C., what happened? God's righteous acts cut them down as He allowed Babylon to come in and take over the kingdom of Judah. This is what Isaiah laid out for them in chapter 10. If you don't repent, here's what's going to happen. But chapter 11, Isaiah brings hope. And that's where we're at. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what we're told. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I want to stop right here because do you remember who Jesse is? Jesse is David's dad. Uh, king David around 1000 BC. Uh, he was the first king from Jesse's line. Jesse wasn't a king. Uh, during that, the first king was King Saul. After King Saul had turned away from God, God said, I'm going to put somebody on my throne who has a heart after my own. And that was King David. After King David, every king in Judah came from Jesse's line. Jesse's line was on the throne until 580 B.C. And here's what God said. God said, if you don't repent, if you don't stop causing these conflicts, I'm going to cut you down. And that's what happened to Jesse's line. This once mighty oak of a, of a kingdom soon became a dead stump. And we see that 700 years later when Jesus is born into the world. If you, where's Jesse's family 700 years later when Jesus is born? Scattered. Scattered throughout the Holy Land. They're not even really formed as a group of people. They're not in politics. They don't have a group that they're huddling around together. They're spread out. It's like a dead stump. No hope. No hope for life. It's just there. But God promised that from this dead stump of Jesse's line, a shoot would come. A branch would stem off of this dead stump to bring hope. And that hope was Jesus. In this family, filled with conflict, filled with destructive relationships, God promises hope. I don't know what conflicts you're going through uh, today as you sit here. 
I don't know what tensions you have. I don't know what relationships have been destroyed in your life. I don't know where you're looking and saying, I can never have my happy ever after because of this. I don't know where you're looking and saying, there's no way I could ever have a happy ever after after this relationship has been destroyed. I don't know what that is. But I do know where the hope comes from. The hope for peace comes from gathering around this shoot, this branch of Jesse that comes off of the family. This dead stump, a branch comes and that is Jesus. And that's where your hope comes from. And Isaiah continues and he gives you the reason why hope for restoration comes from this shoot. Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Imagine the hope and the comfort that this would bring the people in Judah. What did the people of Judah need most? They needed a ruler who was going to rule with justice, with faithfulness, with righteousness. They needed a ruler who would decide what was right and not get caught up in a he said, she said battle. They needed a ruler who would rule with wisdom and understanding. And Isaiah says this is exactly who Jesus is going to be. He's going to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding on him. He's going to be able to know what is going on. He's going to be able to see what is going on and understand and, and know how to uh, take in that information and then make a wise judgment. He's, at, he's going to have the spirit of counsel and of might. He's going to know how to give the best advice for his people. He's going to have the might, the strength, to defend them and to guide them as they go through that conflict. He's going to have the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Not only is he going to know personally the Lord God, but he's going to have fear of the Lord God. Fear in this aspect, in a reverent respect, a reverent awe. A, a reverent awe that says, I want to carry out your will, Lord God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because what's God's will? That he rule with righteousness, with justice, and faithfulness. You see, Jesus would rule the right way. Jesus would defend the poor, defend the needy, defend the elderly. He wouldn't get caught up in all these conversations and all these he said, she said, and all these tensions but he would rule right. Why? Because he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. We live in a world where people are pretty good at, at turning the tables on someone. Even when they're in the wrong, even when they're the ones to blame, even when they're causing the conflict, they have this, this great way of turning the tables to make you look bad, to make you look like the one who's at fault. And here's the good news. Jesus isn't going to get caught in that. 
Because he doesn't judge by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. Jesus looks at the heart. And he's going to know who's at fault. He's going to know who's causing the conflict and the tension. He's going to know who's taking advantage of people. And he's going to rule accordingly. Isn't that comforting to know as you are in these relationships with conflict and tension? Jesus knows what the correct judgment is. Jesus knows who to defend. Jesus knows that you've been a victim. Jesus knows when you've been hurt and it's been because of the other person. And He's going to defend you accordingly. He's going to defend you accordingly. What a great peace we have knowing that this is our Jesus. But at the same time, if we're just looking for Jesus to clear up an argument between us and someone, if we're just looking for Him to bring peace in one relationship that we have, we're thinking too small of Jesus. Right? We're thinking too small because guess what? If He fixes that relationship, do you know what's going to happen next week? Another conflict's going to come up with a different relationship. And then He fixes that one. And then another one comes up over here and another one over there. It's going to be conflict after conflict after conflict. And if we're looking to bring, for Jesus to bring peace on earth, peace in our relationships, we're thinking too small of Him. And, that's thinking, and He's thinking way bigger than we could ever think. Yes, it's true. Jesus does end all conflict. And that's your first point this morning. Jesus ends all conflict because He's got that Spirit on Him to judge correctly, to not be fooled to have wisdom and understanding of what's going on. But Jesus wants to bring a greater peace to your life. He doesn't just want to reconcile you with somebody right now. He wants to bring a greater peace. Look at the peace He wants to bring. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Could we ever imagine a world like this? Can you imagine a wolf lying down with the, or living with the lamb? A leopard lying down with a goat? A calf and a lion and a yearling together lying down? A cow feeds with a bear? Could you ever imagine that? There's a reason why when you go to the zoo, there's not a wolf with a lamb in an exhibit. Because that wolf will completely tear apart that lamb. He will destroy that lamb and eat it. Why? Because there's conflict in that relationship. One's a predator, one's prey. There's a reason why you don't let your child play near a cobra's den or stick its hand into a rattlesnake's nest. Because that rattlesnake will latch out and bite your child, the venom will insert them, and probably kill them. There's a reason why you don't let that happen because there's conflict there. Jesus says the peace He wants to bring is this peace. You see, Isaiah saw a day when Jesus would bring peace, but it wouldn't be peace on earth uh, that is everyone gets along. It's not peace on earth, social peace. It's not social justice. It's not 
to make sure that you have peace at your Christmas dinner. It's not to make sure that Republicans and Democrats can sit in the same room and get along and not fight. No, Jesus has a greater peace that he's bringing to your life. Jesus is completely changing the paradigm in which we know it. He is bringing peace that removes sin and removes death. Think about it. The only way this happens, the only way the wolf can live with the lamb, the only way that a child can stick its hand into the viper's nest is only if death no longer exists. If death still remains, this picture cannot happen. And Jesus said, I'm coming to bring you this peace. This is a peace that the angels proclaim to the shepherds uh, in Luke chapter 2. Today, in the town of David, a, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He, you will find Him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then all the angels join saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. It wasn't peace between friends and family. It was peace between people and God. People and God. In order to have this peace, the conflict between you and God had to end. The conflict between me and God had to end. And all people and God had to end. And in order to do that, this child was born. Was born for one purpose, and that was to grow out like that shoot, that branch, that would bring hope, and then God's righteous acts would cut him off. That baby was born to remove that barrier of sin between you and God, and he did that through his death on the cross. Because of him, your sins are forgiven. You are at peace with the God of this world. No more conflict. And when he rose from the dead, this is now the reality. This is now your future. Death has been completely done away with, and there's going to be eternal peace waiting for you. You see, it's going to sound really cheesy when I say this, but your life is a Hallmark movie. Because Jesus gives you a happy ever after. Jesus gives you a happy ever after. Your life has conflict right now. Your life is filled with tension. But before the credits roll, what's your life going to see? Eternal, happily ever after when you meet your Savior in heaven. Because Jesus has done away with death. He has done away with sin. And now we have nothing to look forward to except an eternal happily ever after as you live with Jesus. Everything will be restored. Your relationship will be restored. You will be with God forever where sin and death no longer exist. Yes, you have conflict now. Yes, you have tension. But Jesus has given you that peace of knowing happily ever after. But what about right now? Because reality is in a, about a week you're going to go to Christmas dinner. How does this peace help you today? You will still have that tension. You will still have that conflict. But because you know who is on your side, because you know the Lord God is on your side, what's it allow you to do? It allows you to be an agent of this peace, right? You can, at Christmas dinner, you can forfeit the right to be right. 
In an argument, when you know that you are right, you can simply say, okay, that's fine. And not make a scene because you know that your Lord God knows who's right. Your Lord God knows where the conflict is and knows that you are right. And that's good enough. When you are in the wrong, you don't have to dig your heels in and not apologize. You can humbly and, and, and willfully confess and say you're sorry. And you don't have to be afraid of somebody using it against you because that's why we're afraid of uh, apologizing, right? Because we're afraid that they're going to hurt us with that apology. You don't have to be. Because you know that God is on your side. He's got the might to defend you. He's got the strength to defend you. And He will guide you and give you the counsel you need to work through that tension. As you go to work, as you live your life, and if a relationship is ended, it's going to hurt. You're going to be sad. But you have the peace knowing that one day all of it will be restored when you have your happy ever after because that's what you have because of Jesus. This child, born to you on Christmas. What child is this? He is the God who's brought you peace. Peace knowing that all of this ends with a happy ever after. Let's pray, thanking God for this gift that we get. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you were born into this world to bring us hope and bring us peace. And that is exactly what you've brought us. Uh, for the people of Judah, it, they had hope knowing one day this king would come. For us, we know that we have that same hope. But this time, we have the hope of knowing that one day all of this will end, all the conflict and tension will end, and we have our happy ever after as we live in peace with you, Lord Jesus. As we uh, have tension and conflict in our lives right now, we ask that you fill our lives and our hearts with peace and that we be agents of peace uh, so that we can spread the, the happy joy that you have given us. We thank you for coming into this world to remove the barrier of sin and death between us and God. And that's exactly what you've done. So we know that we are at peace with God no matter what. Let this peace fill our lives with hope and with joy this Christmas season. Amen.